Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. The patient and forbearing Father, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, as we walk in this wilderness of this world, Lord, help us to be able to seek your word and your precepts. Help us as we long to hear your testimony of your saints. As we stand before others, kings in high places, and all those in which you have placed before us, that we would not be put to shame. As we find our delight not in the ways of the world, but in your word in which we love. Help us as we lift our hands towards your commandments, as we meditate upon your statutes, as we long for Christ. Help us to put him in the center of our life. That we would understand the true essence of the gospel and how it applies to our life through the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. I hope in the Lord. Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul spells out the fundamental truth of how if Christ was not raised from the dead, then their preaching is in vain. If Christ was not resurrected, then we have no hope of the resurrection ourselves. That Paul points out that Christ's resurrection is our hope of our resurrection. And if that Christ was not raised, then all of this is useless. But he also points out in here, at the very last verse in 1 Corinthians, not only if Christ was not resurrected, then our hope of the resurrection is useless, but also what he points out, if Christ was not resurrected, we are wasting our time. He spells out in verse 58, after speaking of the glorious truth of the resurrection, that death has lost its sting and Death has no more victory. He says, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul spells out not merely of the hope of the resurrection, but how we are to live in the life knowing that Christ has been resurrected from the dead. 
That as he spells out in Philippians, in the first chapter, in verse 27, he says, let only your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you apply the gospel to your life? It's based upon Christ and his gospel message. Now, this was the problem of liberalism and still is the problem of modernism or liberalism, whatever you want to call it, wokeism. J. Gresham Machen wrote a hundred years ago the timeless peace of Christianity and liberalism. He spelled out their two separate religions. And it's not merely what they do. Liberalism has many good things that they try and accomplish to be able to go help the poor and the needy, those brothers and sisters that are around them, neighbors, those made in God's image. But he ultimately said the fundamental basis is they do do not believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and therefore the outcome is completely different. They don't believe in the same gospel message we believe. That's why there is an end there. The Christ is not merely an example for us, for if he is merely an example for us, we do it all in vain. That's not what the Bible teaches us. That would drive us forward. We would have the wrong basis, the wrong foundation, but yet a wrong concern, a wrong sacrifice, a wrong service. D.A. Carson explains personal self-sacrifice displaces personal retaliation. For this is the way the Savior himself went, the way of the cross. And the way of the cross, not notions of right and wrong, is the Christian principle of conduct. He, he bases our conduct, how we walk in this world, as Paul does in Philippians, based upon Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The way of the cross. And in tonight's passage, we see and understand that Paul has this view that we are to live like Christ. And he gives us an example of someone who lives like Christ. But it's not of himself, but of young Timothy. Previously, as he's instructing the church in Philippi, that they were to do all things without grumbling or complaining, that they might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and twisted generation. Quote directly from 32 that has been replaced and changed is exactly what Israel was not like. But here Moses is about to go and be with the Lord, and and here Joshua is to take up the mantle to be able to lead the people into the promised land, and Paul is unsure of what is happening. It's quite clear in, in the book of Philippians what Paul seeks to be able to do. He seeks to be able to go back to Philippi to be with them, but he is uncertain. He does not know, and yet there is these two men that are with him that he has hope for the next generation, Timothy and Epaphroditus. As they live as examples of Christ in his humiliation, and Paul seeks to be able to send Timothy to the church in Philippi, and Paul is explaining the process, who is coming, how he plans. Now this is the days without text messages or emails. On my way, got caught in traffic, got stuck in prison, whatever that might be. But here he's explaining his plan and what he hopes to be able to have. But this is not merely just travel plans for Timothy and Paul. 
But here, Paul is encouraging, exhorting the church of this unity that they must have. There's division in the church. Eunuch and Syndicate are, are fighting. They're not agreeing in the Lord. And yet Paul is instructing them, the whole church, to be able to have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is that mind? Of Christ's humiliation, Christ's exaltation. And here we see Timothy, the selfless suffering servant. Is that example of someone who has that mind like Christ Jesus? The Timothy is that, that example of that selfless suffering servant. Now, before we look at what Paul says specifically about Timothy to the church in Philippi, we do need to understand a couple of notes about Timothy. Now, out of all the people in the Bible, we know a lot about Paul because he writes and explains himself. Not in that he boasts about who he is. He actually shows this is a weakness, and he boasts only in his weakness. We actually know quite a lot about Timothy. We actually meet Timothy in, in Acts chapter 16, moments before he goes into Philippi. And then in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, Luke records that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a, Timothy, a, a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, and they all knew that his father was a Greek. They went on their way through their cities. They delivered to them for the observance and decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And here, Paul comes into Lystra and Derby, and, and, he, and he meets this young disciple called Timothy. He comes from his family origins of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. He's held in high esteem of all these brothers. And there was something in that moment that Paul must have seen in Timothy. His willingness to be able to serve, that all of these other people speak highly of him. And at that moment, whatever that he saw, he said, this person represents Christ, and I want him to be able to accompany me, me as he travels. Not only Paul sees this in Timothy, but Timothy is willing to go. Imagine signing up for a missions trip or something like this, and hear the qualification as, as Timothy is going to accompany him, and Paul says, you can come with me only if you're going to get circumcised first. Here, he's not saying that this is a way of salvation as, as those in, in the church in Galatia were saying. This would have been a hindrance to the gospel as they went into Jewish synagogues, knowing of Timothy's background because his father was from Greece. as they go and deliver the observance which says not to be able to uphold the law of Moses and forcing the new Christian believers of Gentiles to be able to uphold the law of Moses. But here he is able to go in his willingness to, as, as a selfless, suffering servant. Paul writes in, in his letter to 2 Timothy as he speaks of his ancestors and, and how he has with a constant, a clear conscience 
remembers Timothy, and what he remembers about Timothy is his tears. He longs to be able to see Timothy, but he remembers Timothy's heart, as we will see. But he's also reminded of the faith which dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and he's sure that dwells in Timothy as well. And he reminds him to fan that gift into flame through the laying on of their hands. Not only in Acts chapter 16, but you go back further, probably back to Acts chapter 14, when Paul is going through this region of Iconium and and Derbe and Lystra. This is probably where Paul had met Eunice and Lois and Timothy. That he, in verse 21, he had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples. And strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Here, as they've heard the good news of the gospel, and now he goes back to encourage them. And how does he encourage them? By saying that it's through tribulations that we must enter. This foundation here of Timothy. He again meets Timothy in chapter 16, and Timothy is then encouraged to be able to carry on, to be able to go. Understanding that it is through selfless, suffering servanthood he is called to the ministry. Even then, they appoint elders in the church, and maybe this is the time when Timothy's uh, hands or Timothy is called to be a disciple and called to maybe be an elder. We're not sure of that timing. But here, Timothy shows that example of Christ as that selfless, suffering servant. This is what Paul seeks to be able to do, to be able to send Timothy to them. Now again, Paul is unsure and uncertain of what is around the corner, what tomorrow may bring. You see that clearly there in verse 19 when he says he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy for the purpose that he might be able to hear about the news. We see later in that passage him speaking of how he hopes in verse 23 that Timothy will be sent to him as soon as he sees how it goes with him. He is uncertain of what happens tomorrow. But his trust is in the Lord. Paul doesn't know what tomorrow will bring, but he says, whatever the Lord wills. There's a hope, not merely in a vagueness, but somewhat of a certainty. He he really believes that he is going to be released from prison, that he's going to make his way back to Philippi. And this passage really helps date when Philippians is written. If he is in prison in Rome, then it would be a lot of backtracking for Paul, especially what we understand to the letter to the Romans, that Paul then seeks to be able to go further eastward at this time, uh, westward at this time, to be able to go to the outer regions, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to Spain. So this prison most likely is where Paul is in Jerusalem or somewhere around this region that he seeks to be able to go back to them. So what is it that we learn about Timothy as a selfless, suffering servant? Firstly, Timothy as a selfless, suffering servant has a concern for others. Has a concern for others. See this in verse 20 where he, Paul explains that he has no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That here, Timothy is that selfless, suffering servant. It, there's none like him. There's many people in the world that are selfish. 
that seek the, the easy way, the pain-free way, that seek the, the life of the king rather than the servant. But there's no one like Timothy. At the end of his life, he explains that here, Timothy is one of the one faithful men that has been carried around, carried with him. But what is it that makes Timothy so unique? Specifically that Timothy is genuinely concerned for this church in Philippi. That again, Timothy mirrors Christ's humility. The Christ who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. That here Timothy shows this true love for this church. Paul says it's genuine. What does it look like to, to walk in that humility? It's not superficial welfare, but the depths of the heart, the compassion within us. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that Timothy is laboring and doing the work just as he is. Paul, in the start of Philippians, explains that this letter is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That here, Timothy shows and mirrors Christ's humility in all that he does. Genuine, from the heart. As Paul writes to the church in Romans, that it's grace given to me that I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And here Timothy has this genuine heart for this church in Philippi. He explains in, in 2 Timothy that here Timothy had tears. He, is he remembered these tears in which Timothy had. And, and Timothy is, is, is often called Timothy, Tim, Timothy that he, he has some form of anxiety that t- Paul needs to write extra letters to him because he's not like Titus who is tough. He's timid, but yet Paul seems to, to lift this up and, and say this is a great gift of his compassion he has for the church, his pastoral heart. That here, Timothy is genuinely concerned for them. Can we say that about how we treat others? Can we say we are genuinely concerned? for those around us? Do we care for this church? Not merely does this church remain here for a hundred years because it has been here for a hundred years. Are we genuinely concerned about the message that we proclaim and preach? Are we concerned about those in the pews beside us? Not merely that they're here. But what, where do they stand with the Lord? How is their faith? Are they encouraged in the faith? Are they weary travelers Are they wandering from God? Do we have that great concern for them and their welfare? As Paul points to Timothy who who mimics Christ, Timothy has this love for Christ, this genuine love because Christ loves his church. That he gave himself up for her. That's what leads us to our second point. Here is... Timothy, as the selfless suffering servants, sacrifices for others. 
Paul uses the example of of Timothy who has genuine concern for the welfare, but he, he mimics and he shows the opposite. For there's others who, who share and care for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Here it's not only Timothy is merely just thinking of the horizontal perspective of those who sit beside him in the pews, but here Timothy has that mind of Christ Jesus. He has that mind of Christ Jesus that Christ is exalted above all things. That he puts not the interest of others merely above himself, he puts the interest of Christ above all things. That's exactly what Paul said earlier in this chapter in verse 4. That let each of you not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. We often think the golden rule is to, to love our neighbor as ourself, and merely what we're saying is that we should love each other equally. If I love myself on a 5 out of 10 scale, then that's all I need to be able to do. But Paul twists twist this and actually elevates that we need to love others more than ourselves. We need to think of others more than ourselves. That here in, in, in the book of Philippians, Paul explains earlier that there's people that go out and preach the gospel, but they do it from envy, from rivalry. They're preaching a good message, but with bad motives. But here, Timothy is a great example of preaching with his good heart motives to be able to show Christ as exalted. That that love is rooted in deep and sacrifice. Love is rooted in a word called give. For God so loved the world that what He did do, He gave. His only Son. The love is sacrifice. Love is giving up of yourself that others may benefit. How do we know Christ loved the church? That He gave Himself up for her, washing her and sanctifying her. But just as before, as we said, that here this is that we are with sober judgment to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. That this is true living sacrifices. It's where to present our bodies holy and acceptable. And again, this is not merely just a superficial act of sacrifice, but rooted in the gospel message of what Christ has done. Again, this is where the, the liberal theology is just bankrupt. Christ merely was just a mere human who shows us an example of love and sacrifice. But if he truly did not die, if he truly did not give his life up, then there is no sacrifice in that. It's not loving to distort or twist or confuse people. And so too do we have that true love that motivates our sacrifice to Christ and His church. Not merely just understanding the complexities of Christ's incarnation of coming and descending down to earth, but showing that forth, as Timothy does. Timothy walks away from his whole family in Lystra. We don't know what happened to his Grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. 
But obviously Paul has some recollection of who they were. But here Timothy's life is is marked with sacrifice and love for Christ and his church. That's what we see finally too. That selfless suffering servant is one who serves others. We see this in verse 22 when Paul points to Timothy's proven worth. Again, he's known in Lystra by all the disciples. There's something in Timothy that stands out. He's well-known, well-renowned in this town. And so, too, he serves others. And, And the church in Philippi knows of Timothy. He knows of his worth that has been proven. What is this worth based upon? Paul explains how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul was to have a business name. He could have many business names, I'm sure, but maybe it would be Paul and Son. Gospel proclaimers. Here, this relationship that Paul has, he explains in his first epistle to Timothy, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. As he recalls very earnestly, a Timothy in in his second epistle, that how he remembers Timothy's tears and he longs to be able to see him. As, as Timothy, as, as Paul is on death's door, he, who shall I wish to see in my dying days? Maybe the son that he does not have or the son in his faith he did have in Timothy. He longs to be able to see Timothy. And this relationship of starting in that day in in Lystra as he's called out to be a disciple, as as he's sent out to be able to go with Paul, as he walks into Philippi going through on his way to Macedonia, and here Timothy is exposed to this, this glorious truth of the gospel, and then this imprisonment of Paul and Silas and, and carried on and, and carried on through all of this ministries, and, and Paul is there to be able to ex- encourage and exhort this son. But the truth of it is that he, he served with him in the gospel. And again, in Philippians, it begins Paul and Timothy, both servants of Christ. Both serving together. Just as Christ came. Philippians 2 verse 7, that what did Christ do? He emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. And Timothy is a servant of Christ Jesus. That here, Timothy mimics and shows forth Christ as the example. That as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, this is exactly how Timothy has structured his life as a selfless, suffering servant. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we proclaim not of ourselves, but of Christ Jesus as Lord with ourselves as servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. How opposite this is of the world, how opposite it is from the preachers that are preaching from rivalry or selfish ambition or or envy. 
But yet here, this selfless, suffering servant of Timothy. J.C. Rawls explains that the world's idea of greatness is the rule, is to rule and to reign. But Christian greatness consists in serving. The great Christian is not one who has risen in the ranks, but the one who is humbly serving Christ. The disciples would feud and, and, and argue over who is the greatest. And Jesus points to the world and he says, this is the way the world lives. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. But not so with you. Rather, let your greatness among you become as the youngest. And the leader is one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And again, Christ uses his example of his service to be able to encourage us to be able to serve others for Christ's sake. Again, not in a superficial way. How simple it is is to be able to serve that others may see. To be able to give and, and give generously that others might be able to boast and brag in us how sinful our hearts are that we would seek to be able to serve others that others might praise us. To lift us up. How quick we are to be able to serve our husband or a wife that we might be able to think they might serve us in return. How quick we are to be able to boast in ourselves that we might get some form of glory, some form of recognition. But yet Paul points to Christ through Timothy and he says that we are called to be selfless, suffering servants. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, grandparents to grandchildren, neighbor to neighbor, citizen to citizen, whatever that might be, that we are called to be able to show forth Christ's humiliation in our lives that others may know. Just as Paul was able to recognize in Timothy, do others look at us and say, that person is a servant like Christ. That person humbly, truly, in the depth of our heart, seeks to be able to love others more than themselves. Do we do that? And again, this is all founded on Christ's life and death. Unlike liberalism, where everything is symbolic, everything is merely an example, there's rooted that we labor not in vain because Christ's life, death, and resurrection was true and real. That all of this is based upon not merely that, that Paul, uh, Timothy, is a selfless suffering servant, but as Christ is that selfless suffering servant who was concerned for others. That Christ is that selfless suffering servant who is the one who sacrificed for others. The Christ is that selfless suffering servant served others and gave his life as a ransom for many. We are called not merely to mimic like Timothy, although Paul uses that as an example. He points merely to Christ through Timothy. And we pray and we hope that we would do that too, that others would see Christ in us as we seek to be able to show forth Christ in his life and resurrection and death, that we would live a life that is worthy of resurrection and death. Let's pray to the Lord and ask for his help. Let's pray. O oh, gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you again for a challenging verse such as this in which 
our sin of our pride is exposed. But yet you have called us to lesser things rather than greater things. You have called us to a life of service and humility. Help us, Lord, to be able to humble ourselves. As a ball constantly seeks to be able to float to the top, so too our pride seeks to be able to float to the top of our life. Help us, Lord, to be able to have a weight within our heart that our selflessness would be paramount. Change our hearts that we would seek to be able to be like Christ in his humiliation as we exalt him, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.